Perhaps the greatest thing about the new year is the feeling that we can once again make a fresh start. A lot of us will pledge to eat healthier and exercise more, vow to finally change careers, or perhaps commit to going it alone, i.e., get a divorce. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, Untying the Knot, why it's not so easy in New York, and who besides the couple going through it feels the impact. Sure, the kids do, but the parents of the divorcees can also take it pretty hard. Their side of the story coming up on Cityscape. Their uh, knee-jerk reaction might be to try to fix the marriage. In New York City, more than 28,000 couples filed for divorce in 2005. That's the year for which most recent statistics are available. Dissolving a marriage in New York takes effort. You can't just tell a judge, well, we just don't get along anymore. Joining me on the phone now is New York City divorce attorney Daniel Clement. Daniel, thanks for joining us. The pleasure is all mine. Is it difficult to get a divorce in New York State? It's difficult if you don't have grounds, because New York is the only state in the country that doesn't have what's called a no-fault divorce. You have to have grounds in New York, and if you don't have grounds, it's almost impossible, unless your significant other, or soon-to-be ex, agrees to the divorce. What are the grounds for divorce in the state? Adultery, uh, cruel and inhuman treatment, behavior that makes it unsafe, either mentally or physically, to continue to relate the marital relationship, Uh, an abandonment, but the abandonment has to be for a year or more uh, imprisonment for a period of time. Then there is one other way uh, that you can have uh, a divorce based on a separation agreement or a legal separation, provided the separation has been for a year. But it can't just be you know, one spouse moves away from the other spouse. There has to be a legal separation, which means there has to be an agreement or a judgment from a court saying that you're legally separated. I would imagine that these grounds make it pretty difficult on a couple. It forces people to air dirty laundry that doesn't may not necessarily need to be aired. If there are two people who are in agreement uh, that they are getting divorced, it forces people to take a grounds which could be offensive. Uh, someone had you know it was cruel and inhuman or abandoned uh, the other spouse and create a dispute where there wouldn't otherwise be one. Alternatively, it can also be used as as a means of leverage. Uh, For instance, I know that you want to get remarried, that you have a new friend, and I can say, but you really don't have grounds against me. I have grounds against you, but I'm not going to use them. I know you want to get a divorce, so I'm going to fight the grounds unless you give me more money, more, you know, give me the car, give me the kids. So it can get pretty ugly. It can get extremely ugly. What's the ugliest divorce you've ever seen? Yeah, I've seen divorces where it's been, you know, the grounds have been used as leverage. Everything become is an issue, whether it be child custody, splitting of property, um, and it gets pretty disgusting. Do you have to provide evidence to a judge if your spouse is cheating on you? Do you have to provide photographs and things like that? Adultery is, is the one grounds where you actually have to have corroborating evidence. In other words, I can't just come in and say, my spouse is having an affair with his secretary. You have to provide corroborating evidence, uh, proof. Uh, But in in all cases, in a contested matter, if the grounds are being contested, you have to prove each and every part of the grounds for divorce. 
for instance, you would have to, in the case of abandonment, you would have to prove that your spouse abandoned you, that he abandoned you for a period of one year, that there was no excuse or justification for him abandoning you. There was a recent case where uh, a uh, wife had sued a husband for divorce, saying that she had abandoned him. His defense was, I didn't abandon you. You had an affair. <laughs> I moved out after you had an affair. And, and the court said that wasn't an abandonment. He, he was justified in leaving. You had an affair. Wow. So you're telling me, though, Daniel, that in any other state in the United States of America, a couple can just go in and say, we don't like each other anymore. We're not getting along, and then get a divorce. But here, you have to go through all of these hoops. Typically what happens is that when the situation arises where if people agree that they don't want to be together anymore, they will allege something, I've abandoned you, you've abandoned me, and then the other person just won't deny the accusations. But in any other state, you can just say that the marriage has irretrievably broken down or there's irreconcilable differences for a period of time, and you know, we want a divorce. Why doesn't New York have no-fault divorce? That's a political question. I know the issue's been presented to the Assembly any number of times, and I know it's on uh, the chief judge's uh, agenda to have a no-fault divorce, but uh, there are certain groups that are opposed to it. I would think that no-fault divorce would be easier on a kid, too, because you don't have to go through all of this hoopla to get divorced. Yeah, that's probably the case, particularly if it was going to be a contested case uh, where dirty laundry is going to be aired. And, and while the kids should not know what's going on in the divorce proceeding, you know, that's one of the things I tell clients is that they shouldn't be telling their children what's going on in the courtroom or what's going on in the court papers. Some of it, I suppose, if children are of a certain age, gets filtered out to them and, again, only creates, creates that, that tension which doesn't necessarily need to exist. From what I understand, it wasn't until the late 1960s that these other grounds were implemented, that it was just adultery at that point in time that would allow you to get a divorce? I I believe so, yeah. It's pretty bizarre that, for instance, you know, cruel and human treatment was not a grounds for divorce back in the, you know, early on. How long can it take to get a divorce? If it's uncontested, it could be a couple of months. If it's a contested divorce, it could drag on for a year or more. What about costs? Is it expensive to get divorced? The more you fight the higher the cost, because in most cases you're paying a lawyer by the hour. So the more you employ his services, the more papers and letters and court appearances there are, uh, trial time, uh, the more expensive the costs are going to be. Uh, clearly it behooves someone to try and work it out to be reasonable to lower their legal fees. When you're talking about the fight, is the fight generally over belongings? Yes. Child custody, visitation are things that people fight about but certainly people fighting over who gets to have the house, who gets to have the, 40, you know, the 401k, another property, is, you know, it's not uncommon. Pets are certainly a part of many families. I would imagine you see a lot of bickering over animals as well. Who gets the dog? Yes, it's, it's more and more it's becoming a, a popular issue, but you can treat them as property or you can treat them as children or any combination in between. But people do fight, do fight about the child, the, uh, who gets to see uh, the dog. So I would imagine that you can work that out outside of the courtroom or you can bring it to the court. All these issues can be worked out between the parties, between the parties and their lawyers, and in the absence of that, in a courtroom. And there are other systems also for working out these uh, issues. There's mediation. Um, where they go to a neutral person who kind of helps the people reach a goal. There's 
collaborative law, which is also another system which is catching on, which helps people work out their differences in a way that's advantageous. But if they're absent, be able to work out any kind of a settlement, then a judge will be the one who finally tells you what's going to be. And you know, it's not always the best result. The best result is the result that you and your spouse work out together because you know what you need, you know what you want, you know what you can give, and you know what you can live with. A judge hears your case, will hear a particular issue for a few minutes, a couple of days, but is going to make a decision where there's going to be a winner and a loser. Any kind of an agreement that you have some control over is better than someone just saying, this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, the old adage is a good settlement is one where no one's happy because I've given too much and you've given too much. It's probably fair if we're both unhappy. From your perspective, how's business? Are people getting divorced in great numbers? Yeah, it seems like it's ongoing and never-ending. Pretty unfortunate. It's unfortunate given that the divorce rate is about 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. A lot of what I see is in the short-term marriages is people who just within a couple of weeks, couple of months, realize they can't live together as husband and wife. But it's a little sadder when you see some of the longer-term marriages with children. That is unfortunate. I would imagine some people these days aren't getting married because they're afraid of divorce. Particularly on the second go-round. Having been burned once, you don't want to get burned again. Okay. Daniel Clement, thanks so much for your time. The pleasure is all mine. Daniel Clement is a divorce attorney in Manhattan. On November 13th, Felix Unger was asked to remove himself from his place of residence. That request came from his wife. Deep down, he knew she was right, but he also knew that someday he would return to her. With nowhere else to go, he appeared at the home of his friend, Oscar Madison. Several years earlier, Madison's wife had thrown him out, requesting that he never return. Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Neil Simon's characters, Felix Unger and Oscar Madison, helped each other rebuild their lives after they got divorced, even if they sometimes drove each other up the wall. Felix and Oscar didn't have any kids, but when divorcees do have children, things can get pretty complicated. With us now is Elizabeth Marcourt. She's the author of Between Two Worlds, The Inner Lives of Children of Divorce. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Your parents divorced when you were a very young girl, right? Yeah, that's right. I was two when they split up and they divorced the next year. How did that affect you at the time? Well, it's interesting. At the time, you know, I was one of these pretty resilient children of divorce, and um, my parents each married and divorced a couple times more um, through the course of my childhood. And, you know, I would impress grown-ups and strangers by, you know, rattling off the composition of my complex family, and everyone would say, oh, well, clearly she's fine. Uh, but it was really in my 20s that I began to uh, wonder how growing up with your parents, in my case six hours apart, might shape your inner life as a person, uh, and went looking to learn something more about it, and there was very little out there. Where did you look? I was particularly interested in how divorce might shape the moral and spiritual identity of young people, and there was virtually nothing on that. And that was how this study that I did uh, got off the ground. You surveyed 1,500 or so young adults, both from divorced families and intact families. That's right. This is a nationally representative survey of young adults from divorced and intact families, and it was the first national survey of young adults from divorced families of its kind in the U.S. And um, we did about a 25-minute telephone interview with all these young people. In addition, I met with 71 more young adults from divorced and intact families in four urban areas of the country 
and um, the long interviews that I had with them in person are reported in the book as well. Your findings were somewhat controversial, Elizabeth, because many experts would say as long as you separate amicably and do right by the kids, they'll be just fine. Right. What I do in the book is really take on the idea of the good divorce, this idea that it's not divorce that's the problem, but simply the way that parents do it. And if divorced parents can just divorce better, then we'll have fewer damaged children of divorce. And I really take on that idea and show that while a good divorce is better than a bad divorce, it's still very hard for children. Um, And what a lot of people don't know is that most divorces today, about two-thirds of divorces today, end low-conflict marriages. So a lot of people, you know, with very good intentions will say, well, of course, divorce is hard, but uh, surely it's better for kids than having parents who are at each other's throats. That is true. It is better than having parents who are at each other's throats. But those high-conflict marriages characterized by abuse or violence or very serious and frequent fighting are only about one-third of marriages that end in divorce. Most marriages that end in divorce look pretty much like marriages that do not end in divorce. What kinds of questions did you ask the people who took part in your survey? All kinds of things. We had about 125 items on the survey. Um, So some of the things that I think were most striking were there were agree-disagree statements like, I felt like a different person with each of my parents. Um, I felt alone a lot as a child. I felt that I had to protect my father emotionally. I felt I had to protect my mother emotionally. And on items like these and many others, there were great differences between um, not just those from divorced families and intact families, but between those whose parents had a so-called good divorce and those whose parents had an unhappy but low-conflict marriage. When these people looked back on their childhoods, did they just feel that they had this enormous burden because their parents got divorced? People from divorced families love their parents. We love our parents, of course, um, as um, nearly everybody loves their parents very much. And yet we can look back, and no one knows how the past might have turned out differently. We can't look at our own lives and know for sure that if our parents had not divorced that things would have been better or worse. But certainly that's where studies uh, are very helpful when we compare two different groups of people who are similar except for, you know, one uh, variable in their lives, that is whether their parents got divorced or not. We can learn a lot from studies in that case. So people from divorced families can often reflect very thoughtfully on how divorce made their life very hard, but they also have a lot of sympathy for their parents' choices and what they had to go through. I understand that children of divorce are very afraid of physically resembling a parent. Why is that? Children of divorce often feel like both an insider and an outsider in each of their parents' worlds. So with each parent, There are things that they share in common, physical resemblances, experiences, memories, um, but also things that they share in common with the other parent. And at any time, those physical resemblances or experiences that they share with the other parent can make them feel set apart, can make them feel like outsiders in this parent's world. I'm curious, did you interview siblings at all, Elizabeth? I did not, uh, and that would be a very interesting thing to do in a future study. Did you find, Elizabeth, that kids of divorce are more likely to side with one parent over the other? Through the course of my childhood and young adulthood, I certainly have identified more strongly with one parent or the other, depending on where I was in my life. I mean, one of the things that I often see with children of divorce uh, is that it's harder for them to separate from their parents to leave home in that sort of leaving home in that sort of many years separation that we have. It's harder for them to do that because when they stop identifying with one parent, they feel like they have to identify with the other. They sort of bounce back and forth between identifications with both parents before they can finally resolve that and then step away into their own adult life. Whereas people from intact families will say, yeah, that's my home, those are my parents, I'm different, I'm unique, I'm striking out on my own in the world, and I think it's a more clean separation process. 
I would imagine that relationships with grandparents and cousins could also be different after a divorce. Quite so. I mean, the fortunate children of divorce are those who have grandparents near, nearby um, who they can still have a relationship with, and those people can really become rocks for the children of divorce, just real sources of stability. Um, I, was, I was fortunate to have that when I was growing up. But often, particularly with the father's parents, the paternal grandparents, children of divorce lose that relationship entirely or becomes quite strained. Do you think, Elizabeth, that people are just too quick to get divorced these days? Too many are. Um, I know that some people only arrive at divorce after many years of agony. Uh, they, they put it off as long as they can. They seek help. They don't want to do it. But I do think that others are too quick to get divorced. Uh, and what a lot of people don't realize is that most divorces are unilateral. We have this idea that a lot of divorces are mutual and, you know, they kind of agree to disagree and go their own ways. What you find generally is a lot of people you run into are unwillingly divorced. They didn't want a divorce. Uh, they wanted to do anything to stop it. But uh, if their spouse wanted it, there isn't much they can do to stop it. Too often people think, I'm bored, there's no spark anymore, um, I'm unhappy, something's wrong in my life, it must be my marriage. If I end my marriage, I'll get happier, and as long as I do it the right way, my kids will be fine. Are children of divorce more likely to get divorced themselves? Sadly, they are. My own study confirmed that, and other studies have found that as well, that children of divorce are anywhere from one and a half to two times or more likely to get divorced themselves when they grow up, which is a very sad legacy because the children of divorce will be the first to tell you, I don't want to get divorced, I don't want to do that to my kids, and yet their divorce rate is much higher. If the people who made them could not love each other, how can they be loved? I think this is something that children of divorce really struggle with. At the same time, then, are you saying that children of divorce fear marriage more than others? They do. They long for it and fear it. Um, they jump into it. Um, they have high hopes, but um, no, no real models for how to do it. And so there's a lot of stories of suffering there. Elizabeth Marcourt, the book is Between Two Worlds, The Inner Lives of Children of Divorce. Thank you so much. Thank you. Between Two Worlds is published by Crown. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. It may seem obvious that kids feel bad when their parents divorce, but what about the parents of the divorcees? Marsha Temlock is the author of Your Child's Divorce, What to Expect and What You Can Do. She spoke with WFUV's Julianne Welby. We see so many books about divorce, and there's so many resources there, but not necessarily for the parents of divorcing adults. This really has been a neglected audience, and I do not believe that there is anything that has been currently written. So this is really very timely. What a minefield of problems there are for parents of divorcing children. Can you go through some of them? Yes. In my book, I take parents of divorced children through five specific stages talking about all of the different issues that they can anticipate at each of those stages. The first stage, for example, uh, is accepting the news. And for parents in particular, this can be a very slippery slope. They have to not only come to grips with the fact that this is a reality, because by the time they get the information, it probably is uh, a reality. They also have to um, be very careful not to uh, violate boundaries and to understand right up front what their initial tasks are. Not to mention issues with the grandchildren. We hear that come up in the news quite a bit when it comes to divorce. Grandparents are the stabilizers in a divorce situation. They are also the 
uh, people who need to be able to provide some sort of relief from stress so that when grandchildren come to your house, for example, it's a neutral territory. They feel loved, they feel protected, and they feel that they are away from the battlefield, particularly in acrimonious uh, divorce situations. Tell me about some of the common stumbling blocks that parents of divorcing children would face. I think initially their uh, knee-jerk reaction might be to try to fix the marriage. And uh, as I mentioned before, by the time you hear the information, chances are it's a done deal. The other issue is also to take sides immediately um, and to uh, not know all the information and to feel as if that you need to really sort everything out. Uh, I think you have to understand as a parent that there, first of all, may be some very uncomfortable disclosures, and those disclosures may not come for quite a while or ever. Uh, So parents need to show the family flag, and by that I mean show support for their child, who is, after all, their child forever. I want parents to understand that showing support is not the same thing as saying to your child, I agree with your decision because you may not agree with the decision. However, your child will be needing your support through the different stages, and you can do this very effectively. You seem to be advocating a middle ground almost across the board for parents of divorcing children. I think that there are very, very difficult situations, obviously, where you may not be able to side with your child. Okay. However, Um, I like to think that just as uh, your child, uh, when he or she was growing up, you know, there were certain things you found out, nevertheless, you were still your child's advocate. Because divorce is such a very, very painful time, not only for you but and and your child and your grandchildren, but the other people who will be touched, that you need to try to be as much of a mediator as possible to really be a good role model because after all, there is the legacy of divorce, unfortunately. Right. A lot of these people getting divorced, so are their parents. Yes, and your grandchildren, unfortunately, may carry forth that legacy. So you want to be able to be a good role model, and you also want to be able to be there in order to help your whole family heal. Money problems seem to be tops, not just for people who are getting divorced, but their parents as well. I tell parents to not attach strings to money to only give what you can give freely. If you're in a a tenuous situation, for example, you're in business with your in-law, okay, you may need to consult someone professionally. Uh, Sometimes the the family business, all right, uh, if you dissolve it or if you fire your ex-law and, you know, because you're very upset with his or her behavior, uh, you will be also diminishing the stream of income. Be aware that in that case you may have to be the safety net for your child. So there are all kinds of issues you need to be aware of. You make it clear that you should not put down the people who are involved in the divorce, whether it's the son-in-law, the daughter-in-law, or the other parents, the other in-law parents. Let me cite a case for you. A woman had just read my book, and she came to one of my talks, and she came up to me afterward, and she said, you know, my daughter has been struggling with her marriage for a very long time. Unfortunately, my son-in-law has an addiction problem. And she finally got to the end of her rope. And after reading your book, I sat down with my daughter, and I said, listen, I know how hard you have tried to make this marriage work. I want to be there for you. And her daughter said, Mom, I am so glad that you didn't spend your time just, you know, um, uh, criticizing John because I don't need that right now. 
Yeah, you should let your child do the criticizing and not contribute to that. Yeah, after all, your child has invested a lot of time and energy in making this marriage work. They've chosen someone. They had dreams of success. They don't need any more, uh, you know, uh, not to mention tongue lashing about the ex law. You should, as a parent, I believe your role is to get off on the right foot with the ex law, if at all possible, to build a foundation for the future, particularly if there are grandchildren. And if the couple gets back together, you'd have egg on your face. A very, very good point. Yes. You offer guidance for when it's appropriate to stay in touch with the ex in laws. I believe that you need to take your cues from your child. Always take your cues from your child. But be prepared that there will be, at some point in the divorce, perhaps after the settlement, where your child and the ex-law may have reached some sort of um, amicable or civil relationship. There's no need for you to carry all that bitterness and anger towards the ex-law. It only makes it more difficult. The example family that you have in the book prominently, Nora's family, seems to be an exception to the norm in a way in that first the the children go home with the father, not the mother. This is a case where the father becomes the custodial parent because uh, his spouse has cancer and it's a very, very difficult time for the entire family. We are seeing more fathers get custody of their children nowadays, aren't we? Even though there may not be a significant increase in the number of fam- of fathers who get full custody, uh, there are joint custody arrangements now. And I think with the boomer generation, we're also seeing a lot of fathers who are far more nurturing than their fathers or grandfathers may have been. So we need to be aware of the important role that the father is going to play. Historically, there would seem to be more paternal grandparents who maybe don't get to see their grandkids as much. Do you see that changing? That has been shown in the research, that if the, uh, the mother is the custodial parent, most likely the maternal grandparents will see the, the grandchild uh, more often. But even then, grandparents complain that they get the crumbs Because particularly in a situation where um, children remarry, and if other children are brought into the family, after all, you're dealing with many, many different branches. And so grandparents need to accept the fact there may be four sets of grandparents, biological uh, children, step-grandchildren, okay? And your time may be severely limited. We seem to only hear about grandparents of divorcing children or parents of divorcing children when they're fighting for custody of their grandkids or fighting to see their grandkids. One of the things that I want to say uh, to grandparents who unfortunately do not have access to their grandchildren is that if you can possibly find a mediator or someone in the family who can work both uh, with both of the uh, the parties, you know, uh, that's much, much better than going to see an attorney or going the legal route. Unfortunately, Um, we're seeing that more and more that parents um, really are determining who their children should see. And unless a grandparent can prove that a grandchild will be hurt in some way by not seeing you, the courts will most likely favor the parents. Of course, each state does have different uh, laws regarding grandparent rights. The bottom line seems to be when you get the news that your child is getting a divorce, you're about to go through a grieving process as well, not just those divorced. 
parents who find out that their child is getting divorced will have the feeling of grief, of uh, paralysis, of denial, go through all those different stages. And if a a parent uh, of a divorced child finds that they are unable to move from one stage to another, you know, that the divorce is really monopolizing their life and interfering with their well-being, also with their relationship with their spouse and their other children, they should seek some professional help. Mm -hmm. So understanding how we cope with death, could that help us cope with the loss of of a family member, an in-law? I think that it is analogous. However, you know, uh, when we talk about the the periods of rescue and rebuilding, I mean, it's it's not akin to death because uh, we can uh, really become much more optimistic in terms of, you know, where we go from here. So you do not necessarily have to lose that ex-law. There's really a pragmatic quality when you approach a book like this. It's kind of saying that divorce is a reality in society. It's not saying, here's how we stop divorces or curb them. It's here's what it is, and here's what we do about it. Yes, somebody has said to me, you know, when I was pregnant, I read the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, and this is a whole new set of parenting skills. After all, this is the boomer generation. Many parents have already been divorced. They are going to compare their own divorce to their child's divorce. They need to be aware of the fact that times are different, that you can't really, you know, draw the analogy. And so the skills that are needed for you to help your family heal are going to be different than those that your parents may have had or may have not used when you got divorced. Marsha Temlock, thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. Marsha Temlock's book, Your Child's Divorce, What to Expect and What You Can Do, is out now from Impact Books. She spoke with WFUV's Julianne Welby. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. I and Cityscape producer Rashida Winfield wish you the very best for the new year. We'll see you on the other side of 2007.